Welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Radio Show with host Karen Rands. A compassionate capitalist is someone who invests their money into entrepreneur endeavors to bring innovation to the market and create wealth for all those involved. Karen shares insights and best practices for entrepreneurs to succeed and investors to share in that success without all the risks. And now... So welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist podcast and video for those that are watching on video. Thank you for joining us again today for our our weekly session where we talk to entrepreneurs and investors and service providers and all those that are um, actively working on and trying to promote the creation of wealth through successful business, entrepreneur endeavors, and for those investors that take the ride with them and help fuel the acceleration of that company from launch to growth. And what is the, what are all the best practices all along the way? And part of what we do is this show for those that listen on a regular basis is that we like to dive into different sectors uh, and, and understand what, what is work, what is hot in that sector, what is, um, what are some of the problems that are being solved in a certain sector? And today we're going to talk about media tech or in you know, the technology of media and entertainment. And it's always a really unique and great opportunity when I have a guest that not only has, uh, it has walked the walk and can talk the talk, but is still doing it today. And going from being a very successful entrepreneur and having a vision and an idea and taking it all the way through to being able to sit on the other side of the table as a as a, a an investor, an angel investor, and a and a venture capitalist. And so I'm going to tell you, my my guest, he's here. He's going to wave for those that are are watching. Sahar Oren, he is the founder and CEO of Sound Media Ventures. Hmm. It's a venture capital firm that invests in companies at the nexus of media and technology. The fund pursues early stage targeted investment opportunities, primarily in scalable technologies, powering media tech, and a number of the elements that that fall within that technology platform. It can be, it's amazing the stuff that solves problems in the media and entertainment sphere uh, from a technology standpoint in media and entertainment industry. And we're gonna dig into that uh, as we go through our conversation. He has a fascinating history of using his job, starting out at a, lo- at the, a local college radio station, into the mo- promotional side of the music industry, and really understanding some of the issues that were going on that. But then uh, it's getting an idea for a business and his inspiration to actually start that business in the midst of the Great Recession. So Shahar founded and built, built and led Neurotic Media, it, it was a high-tech music platform that served global Fortune 500 brands for 18 years. Shahar led the successful exit of neuro, neurotic media to Peloton Interactive back in 2018. And for the last decade overlapping all of that, Shahar has also offered executive counsel for pro, pro bono for incubators, educators, startup founders and currently serves as the president of Georgia Music Partners and advises several executive leaders in the technology media entertainment, including Techstars Music, Georgia Tech's Create X, and the College of Creative Design, uh, ATDC, GSU Main Street, as well as the founders of several media and technology startups. And he now sits on the other side of the table as an angel investor and the founder of Sound Media Ventures. Welcome to the show, Shahar. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me, Karen. Hello, everybody. Yes. So 
you have specific, unique insights into these concepts of growth hacking, lean startup, bootstrapping, raising capital, getting to an exit because of your experience with neurotic media. And I, and I think it's really so valuable for the entrepreneurs that are listening out there to understand a little bit of your journey of what you experienced with that. Because when we first met, you were raising capital, but it turned out to be you know, difficult. Even though you had really strong intellectual property, you had great technology and great traction. So, you know, for the afternoon, the entrepreneurs that kind of get stuck with this idea of progressing their company, what one might call that lean startup, right? With investor capital, they feel like they can't do anything till they get money to do this or that or the other. You solved all of that in the way that you brought it to market and built a huge value op proposition for that led up to your exit and your story and the stories you've told me are just fascinating. So, you know, spend a few minutes talking to our audience about this idea of, of getting started growing with actual customer revenue and, you know, share with them on how, you know, how you were able to generate millions in revenue without the benefit of seed capital. Sure. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting because I'm pretty envious of the reality in the marketplace today because um, in relative terms, there's so much investment capital, VC, uh, angels um, in Atlanta, the local market, and I've been in Atlanta since 1990. Uh, the market has changed so much, especially even in just the last five years. So when I founded Neurotic Media in 2001, um, the bubble just crashed and we were coming out of that and creating a new company and there was, um, there was no VC, there was only one VC in Atlanta and it was not an angel VC, they were investing in uh, later stages. I started the company with an SBA loan and my own sweat equity and some savings and we had to be customer focused and figure out a way to be generating revenues from, from month number one. And we ended up uh, growing organically with a lot of grit and a lot of years of several years of sweat equity. And only in 2007, 2008, did we find traction with some investors. And this is in the height of another recession. There was <laughs> That's still, right. There were still not a lot of folks to talk to in Atlanta. So at the time we only raised, which today is extremely modest, our raise was about 1.5 million. And we were already making almost a million a year in revenue. And the expectation at the time, investors put us to the ringer. We needed a 80 page business plan and a technical white paper and <laughs> a former. I mean, ask those things from a founder nowadays, everybody laughs at you. It's like, you want me to do what? <laughs> yeah, my I know. Point. That's why you I know? laughed. <laughs> You're lucky to get three years projections. But, uh, you know, and um, so, so it was a totally different environment for raising money. And in Atlanta, there were not a lot of people to talk to. So the discipline expected of us as founders, and, and I was a member of ATDC at the time. So I was networking with a lot of other founders from other industries at ATDC, which is an incubator at Georgia Tech. Everybody was in the same boat. Everybody was seeing the same stuff. It was really hard. The process of raising money was a lot harder. 
and the result evaluations were de depressed. It was hard to find money in town. Um, it's totally different today. It's a wonderful space today for founders. Um, I think nationally, but we certainly see that here in, in, in Georgia and in Atlanta, yeah. where, gosh, there's probably about 20 plus funds, um, micro funds um, in Atlanta alone. Many of them are generalists. Some of them are market specific, like Sun Media Venture is, um, and Sun Media Ventures is. And uh, there's so many opportunities for founders to go raise money and the valuations are a lot higher. Um, but we had to apply a lot of grit to the process and um, we learned how to have this discipline of being revenue centric because we kind of had no choice. Right. In yeah. The, so talk about that. Cause that was one of the things I thought was so interesting how you figured out how to engage customers to fund your growth and even your technology developments and your iterations as you went along the way. We did. So be, because we, we were so nimble and agile in the way we developed every step of the way we had to engage with customers and drive the value for the customers. And we, we were a B2B music platform. So the path for us was to deeply understand the potential customers and then present them with strong proposition about what we're gonna build. Um, I already had, and this is going back to my activity in the digital space circa 1998, I had a good network within the industry to leverage. And so we leaned on those relationships to kind of sit with folks and say, hey, what do you need in the marketplace? What do you want to build? What would you pay us to build? Yeah. Um, the major record companies engaged us um, in the middle of that decade to build what they defined at the time as an iTunes in a box. White label opportunity, iTunes like services and beyond, B2B music services that they can white label for a variety of different purposes. So they had a need and we knew how to build it. And there was a lot of trust created over the course of a few years of a variety of different services being provided we were able to go to the labels and say, we're the right party to build you this platform. And we are asking you to advance us two years of service fees. And uh -huh. we were able to fund at least the beginning of the platform with customer adv advances towards fees. With the and it was a big risk. It was a big gamble. First of all, it was just one nugget of the money we needed. I needed to borrow a lot more, which was a lot of personal borrowing and you know, enterprise borrowing, taking the risk on borrowing a lot of money. Also, the financials only made sense if we expanded the clientele beyond those record companies. So we had a long-term plan of, hey, if, if we can leverage this opportunity to build this tool, we believe that we can sell a lot more of it to other clients once it's built and we aggregate the catalog so it was a multi-year gamble, but we, we got it funded initially with clients' money, which is non-dilutive. We yes. got the mission done. It was a lot about execution and we got, we got it done. We came out of the recession by 2010 uh, after we also raised a little bit of money from local angel groups. So we we're able to um, really fulfill on the promise of what we're trying to build for our clients. We came out of that process eight years into the company and, and one pivot later um, into a real SaaS model with APIs and whatnot, but we came out of the recession uh, profitable. 
And from 2010 until we exited in 2018, we were constantly growing as a SaaS and eventually kind of found our hockey stick and got really, really scalable. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Um, so I was going to say all along that growth is painful too. Growth is also expensive. So even as we were profitable and growing, we needed to come up with, with innovative ideas of how to fund the technology costs during the growth period. Absolutely. And we kept going back to clients as well. So at that point, it was beyond just the regular companies. We had all sorts of SaaS customers. And we had SaaS customers that were already on board for 8, 10, 12 years each. And they were paying a monthly retainer for years. So we would go back when, whenever we needed a bump to build something on the technology side, we would go and say, hey, we're, here's what we're doing technically. It, it may or may not be in your wheels, but you're going to benefit from it as well. And, and you've seen that in the past, you know that what we're doing right now is gonna benefit you. Um, if you're willing to advance us, your next 12 or 18 months of uh, monthly recurring fees, which are in your, in your budget anyhow, you're paying us anyhow, uh, we'll give you a 10% or 15% discount if you advance us the money. And customers always chose to do it because of the savings. Yeah. So over time, we started going for non-dilutive and very minimal. Um, well, there was no interest. It was not really a loan. We were just, you know, giving up a little bit of our yeah. uh, income in order to get the money when we needed it. Cash is king at that point. You need to build something, solve a technical problem. You need the cash. So it was a non-dilutive way to continue and expand our cash flow um, to invest in the technology and in the growth of the company. Yeah. So that, that's how we, we got it done efficiently over the years. Well, it's a great strategy because, yes, you're taking a discount, but people offer discounts all the time for things, you know, for people to sign up and stuff. But, you know, you've got this uh, growth in revenue that will come from the new functionality that'll make up for that discount that you gave existing customers, but you didn't give have to give up equity. You're not paying interest on that. It's not on your balance sheet dragging you down where you got to pay out every month on something, right? Sure. You just got cash in and you're paying your developers and things. But in general, you know, a SaaS uh, solution is going to have a high margin on it. You've got a little bit of wriggle room. So I think that was just a, a brilliant strategy to do. And I wish more customer or more entrepreneurs would um, believe in what they're doing and do take those kinds of bold moves in order to move forward and create a value. And it, and it, it creates a situation that you, because you, because like you keep emphasizing and you didn't have to dilute it. So you get to keep more at the end of the day when you get ready to exit. And so let's, let's switch over and let's talk a little bit about that because most entrepreneurs and founders, you know, they start a company, mm -hmm. not just to invent something cool, but to do what you've done, which is to create great wealth from their innovation and hard work, right? They're, and that's the exit. You know, often right. entrepreneurs will dream of an IPO, but most often the exit comes through the sell of the company. And now you sold your company to Peloton, whom, you know, really in recent years, people have become massively aware of, you know, uh, and, uh, and, I, and I like to think that part of the reason why 
they became such a dominant um, solution. It wasn't just because it was a bike, but it was the, the experience of that bike. And I think your technology from neurotic media probably was a real integral factor of them being able to accelerate their business model. And, and what's interesting is that they didn't come knocking on your door necessarily to say, we need this, and this is what's going to propel us to the future. It was almost your vision of how they would use it as a customer that gave them the vision that ultimately led to the exit. So talk about that process of how, how that happened, because it didn't happen overnight. It was, you know, and it's a really a fascinating piece of your story. It is, and you know, um, we're, we play a very specific role within that ecosystem. Um, and um, the vision is all, I mean, the Peloton team is an amazing team. It's an amazing product and amazing service. And users, you know, the members are so passionate about it. Um, we just really got lucky. And the interesting thing about this, yes, exit, exit is king. Exit is what it's all about. It's all about the exit for a, an entrepreneur. And it's also about the journey. I truly believe it, it's very much about the journey. And hopefully you do have a great exit in the end. Um, we were always cognizant. I had great mentors and advisors early on, which is phenomenally important for, for an entrepreneur to identify and lean on, on really wise mentors and advisors. And then also to find and develop and promote the right team around you. Um, it's the success of a company. It's all about the teamwork and the talent that you bring in and, and foster within uh, the culture within the company. And the, um, so, so first of all, I was always acutely aware that I didn't have to, neurotic media didn't have to be the biggest animal out there to be successful from an exit perspective. We actually, because we, we had an 18 year run and we saw several competitors that came and went during the years. Oftentimes they raised way too much money, overcapitalized, mm -hmm. which normally then when you overcapitalize two years in, it leads to the VCs taking over, the founders lose control yep. and disappear. And the company ends up, even if the company raises a hundred million dollars, the founders live with nothing. Uh -huh. And eventually it melts. There's a loss for all the investors. We've seen that happen several times to our competitors. And we, at that stage, when many of our competitors overcapitalized in 2007, when we raised 1.5 million in Atlanta, we had three or four competitors at the time in other markets, bigger markets, that raised 50 to $70 million each, which really was what kept us up at night. We're gonna lose our pants on these big client competitors. How are we gonna win? They, you know, they tend to then, when they raise too much money, they spend it very, very fast on, on whatever the VCs think they need to do in, literally within 12 months. Mm -hmm. And they kind of burn through it and then crush and burn basically. And so we, over time, with our slow momentum, um, we eventually became a leader in the space. All the competition disappeared. It was like the story about the rabbit and the, the turtle. We were the turtle. <laughs> um, and we won the race. And so um, I always now encourage, when I work with um, entrepreneurs, with founders today, I, I work with them early on in the process on a waterfall that shows them how raising money in different stages of their company in the next five years um, going to affect what they personally get out of the hard work 
because I want them to realize what overcapitalization for a business looks like for the founder. Um, so they don't make mistakes and don't, you know, overshoot what they need financially. Uh, and to really think about the process of valuation versus capital leading to an exit and what that means to them. As an early investor, our interests are aligned. I want to make sure that they know about this because um, it, it benefits us. Um, so, so by the time we ran into Peloton, it's interesting because we never, when we were looking at our potential exit from neurotic media and over the years we would, we would contemplate who would be our exit. As a B2B company, we, we never saw ourselves, it wasn't big enough to go after an IPO. The market was never big enough to support an IPO for a B2B music company. Sure. So who's going to buy us and for how much? And over the years, we banked on, well, a big retailer. And then we right. thought maybe a big carrier or a big technology company. Or a publisher or, maybe, or, yeah. We never thought it was going to be a fitness company. Sure. Nobody really saw this coming. A customer. The explosion. Right? Of, yeah. But we never thought that a fitness company would be a major customer. So okay. you know, by the time Peloton came to talk to us, they already created a monster. They were already a unicorn. And they knew that they needed to take a sledgehammer to a challenge. They recognized that music was part of the NDA of what the service was about. And they needed a source, source of truth for everything within how they were fitting music to the system all the way down to reporting that they needed an end-to-end -end solution for music. And they, um, they came to us with an RFP. They went to the marketplace with asking folks to quote. Interesting, them. okay. And they say, you know, we need this, we need that. They, they had a certain vision and a lot of it was, uh, they're so member-centric. They knew what they wanted to create as far as membership experience. It was a, a phenomenal vision where we were able to add vision is to really show an elegant and scalable and automated option of how to execute on the vision that removed a lot of manual elements from the process and created a, a really exceptional ecosystem, soup to nuts, a real supply chain for them that doesn't, nobody else is doing it that way in the marketplace, even today. It's bar none, uh, just an exceptional solution. And they got very excited about that vision so that conversation organically pretty quickly developed into a conversation about an acquisition. And, um, and then, you know, the team is still there. I'm super proud of the team and what they've built within the organization. Um, I still on board for the uh, obligatory year to get a vision executed, move the team and the technology over. Um, so oh, that's interesting. So they... They didn't just buy your tech, they bought the team to continue momentum and movement and the advancement and innovation within that element of what your, your technology brought to them. So that's Absolutely. good because that's another thing that entrepreneurs often worry about is, you know, they're just buying us for the tech because it's easier to buy than to build it, but they wanted the team too. And a lot of founders really struggle because they don't want to, they don't want to um, have the team not benefit from the hard work that they've put into it all those years. So I'm glad to hear that was a, a key component that was probably also part of your deciding factor to sell. Absolutely. Um, you know, we looked at various options and um, this was the option, uh, exit option where we felt so excited about the brand. When we looked at different options of whether we want to exit, 
at the time already, there was so much buzz about Peloton. And when we looked at the opportunity and talked to the company and studied the brand, we thought, what a great place to, 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 uh, to go to work with, to join. Um, I knew that for, the, for, for my team, it would be a huge positive experience. Everything about the Peloton brand is so positive. It's an empowering brand. You, you just, if you look at um, just what, what you can see publicly and in, so, in social networks and in the Peloton social channels on Facebook and other social places, it changes people's lives for the better on so many levels, mm -hmm. which is why there's so much passion by the members for the brand. And when we looked at all of this, we thought, you know, this is just fantastic. This is so exciting. We would, you know, we would, I was excited to see all of the hard work we've put into it serve a growing amount of members in such a unique way. And knowing that the technology and capabilities and the team is now part of this bigger family, which has grown by leaps and bounds. And even our, our team here in Atlanta that specializes that focuses on the Peloton technology side uh, for music. The music technology arm has grown and the team is just, they, they're, they're doing great and they're so pleased with where they are now. Yeah. From a career perspective, I just couldn't be more happy for everybody yeah. involved and, and proud of what they're doing. <clears throat> yeah, that's great. That's a really good story because I think it's really important for entrepreneurs to understand, you know, the destination and the reason why investors invest in entrepreneurs is because they expect to have an exit like that. But so often, you know, they think of the obvious exits, like you mentioned at the beginning and not always necessarily a customer or somebody that would take their novel tech and use it in a slightly different way. Like you say, in a consumer product for the fitness industry and, you know, transform what they're doing in their business because they had an idea and they needed your tech to do that. So after your successful exit, exit you spent some time and, and I guess along the way you have been mentoring and accelerating companies and, seeing interesting and compelling media tech. When we uh, recently, we participated as judges at the annual Siege Business Plan Competition. And for those listening that aren't familiar with that, it's, the, it's, a, uh, it's a conference for, game, for people that are inventing games and entertainment uh, here in Georgia. So it's an annual uh, convention or it was done virtually this year, business plan. And there's a business plan competition that's an element of it. So I was struck by some of the entrepreneurs there that seemed to focus on just better mousetraps, right, for their innovation rather than some kind of transformational innovation that moves an industry right. forward. Your background, you know, has music in it. Your company was music tech. You pivoted your business, you know, um, at the onset in this platform for business to business, right? You, you know, saw this opportunity. Uh, so, you know, share your, because, and, and don't, you don't have to necessarily go into the whole nature of what, you know, streaming music was back then, but share your insights into the experience of, you know, the value proposition of creating a different way of doing business, right? A platform, because ultimately that's kind of what you look at from an investment standpoint, but as an entrepreneur, the value of create, creating something that's not just a better mousetrap in doing stuff. Well, the, um, the underlying idea, I believe, for, um, for founders that are, that are really, really looking for big value creation um, in a short period of time, what we call a quick IRR or significant uh, annual growth. To do that, you need to fundamentally, usually fundamentally disrupt or make a big difference in an industry, whatever your segment is. 
Um, if there's a lot, there are a lot of businesses that one can create that are valid businesses that are going to generate a lot of cash, maybe, you know, doctor's offices, lawyer's offices. Um, there's a lot of different businesses in all across industries where you can generate, you know, seven or even eight figures a year. Everybody takes a nice living home. It's what we call a lifestyle business. And that's fine. Um, for those kind of businesses, you don't necessarily need venture capital. You can usually build them with some, uh, with maybe some grit applied as well. But ultimately, if there's real value in that business, you can get a non-dilutive loan, specific banks, um, maybe friends of the family, um, maybe some angels would invest in those type of businesses, but it's not uh, suitable for venture capital. Venture capital usually seeks significant potential rate of return on an annual basis. We're sort of hunting for unicorns. And we, we are aware that statistically speaking, most of the bets would fail. One in 10, two in 10 would succeed and go big. And that's if we're lucky. So it's a, it's, it's a bit of a gambling game and uh, high stakes gambling game. So it forces us to ensure that every investment we make, we have to go into it with certain conviction in the size of the opportunity and the ability of the management team to execute on a vision that's sizable, that provides significant annual growth and a significant exit potential that provides a pretty hefty multiple. Um, and it depends on which stage of the company you invest in. So the earlier stage, the more risk and the higher the return. Sure. Um, there's different teams, bigger VC teams that invest in what we call further down downstream, which is series B, series C, where a lot of the risk is already off the table because usually in those bigger rounds, the company is well established and the product is well established and the revenue is well established and you're really investing in growth. So you're not necessarily looking for the same huge multiple. Um, and um, when you invest early on, you're looking for pretty significant multiple opportunity. Sure. Uh, because you're taking a lot more risk. Right, right. So, so, so founders need to understand that before they set themselves up to starting to talk to venture capitalists or even angels. The story has to take that approach um, into consideration. They need to put themselves in the investor seat and realize that we're looking at, at hundreds of opportunities. You're basically competing with other opportunities when you talk to an angel investor. Uh, yeah, that's one of the things I always tell entrepreneurs. It's like, you're, you know, you are, it's a, it's like a, a beauty contest, right? I, I, when I, sometimes when I do some of my education on this, I say, you know, how does a female peacock pick a, uh, a male peacock? Because they're all pretty, mm -hmm. but there's like, which one, right? It's like, there's, and that's right. when, when investors are looking at deals, every deal says, I'm going to, I'm going to be the best. I'm changing this. I'm doing this. And so they have to, to figure out which one it. that looks great is right. the one that's really going to do what they say or change a market or shift a market or have this kind of compounding effect because of, and there's also that risk of like you talk about the reason why some of them don't make it is because there's so much involved with creating a market 
or wedging into a market and displacing how the status quo of how somebody might do stuff like that. So, you know, one of the things that I also want you to, to talk about is because I think you have some real unique insights on some of the stuff that you've shared already and, and kind of, you know, your focus is that in, the, in this thing about media and entertainment, right? You know, investors flock to software tech, cloud-based SaaS, internet of things, fintech, all these catchphrases. Yet media and entertainment seems to be a category that they that struggles to get mass attention of investors as groups and VCs. And so, and so the entrepreneur may define, define themselves as a media and entertainment company. And then the investors go, well, media and entertainment, right? Where underneath it, there's a tech that is good, that is that is solving a problem within the media and entertainment sector. Mm-hmm. So you have a unique perspective in the in sort of the investments you've already made in some of the companies that you've mentored in the roles that you play now on the side of the investor table. So talk about understanding the tech behind media and entertainment and how do entrepreneurs overcome the stigma of a startup in that space when they're really actually are, they're not just entertainment, they're actually in the technology side of that. And, and, you know, maybe something interesting that you've seen or a problem that you're hoping somebody will solve that you've identified from your experience in the industry. There's a, there's a few issues that are of interest to us that we're talking to companies that kind of solve for them and we're trying to get into those deals. So I cannot get into specifics, but um, we're very bullish about opportunity in general because I've been in the space now for two decades plus. It has changed so much in the last 20 years. And it seems like over year that the rate of change keeps accelerating. What's happening in the space today with some of those novel technologies, with blockchain, with AI, with robotics, internet of things, 5G, machine learning, AR, VR. There's so much fundamental, so many fundamental shifts are happening in how consumers, fans are um, tapping into media broadly. And we look at media very broadly. Yes, it's music and video, and but it's also communication, education, fitness, art, it's all media. Um, so we at Sell Media Ventures, we look at media broadly. Um, and we're looking at those type of technologies because we believe that they allow founders to create a lot of unique value and innovate and create min- meaningful changes fast and usually faster than big companies would do it, which leads to growth and potential big exit opportunities. So we're not looking at nice to have models Mm-hmm. Um, oh, this exists for the last 20 years, but I did it a bit better. Um, that can be a nice lifestyle sort of business. Like, okay, you're doing something better. And that's a, you know, there's all these other companies that make 10 million a year. So now you maybe can disrupt them and you'll make $10 million. A yeah, year. it's a base hit. It's not a, it's not a home run. Not a home run. Um, so we're looking for those home runs. And, and so what we're looking for are opportunities that uh, fundamentally change how media broadly is uh, created, distributed, and monetized. And the underlying technologies that are platform scalable in nature. We're not looking at the media itself. That's a different sort of thesis. So we're not investing in media per se, but the underlying technologies. Um, and, and there's a lot going on in the space, a lot of exciting opportunities. Um, and and um, you can look at, you know, we've got a small portfolio already on our website. It's sunmedia, 
dot vc um, and you can see the kind of things we, we're squinted at and, and, and what we invest in. Um, so we're very bullish about the space. It has performed, I believe, ahead of most, if not all other spaces in 2020. Well, there you and go. Yet, most media companies in the early stages uh, really find their money with angels and struggle to find institutional money. Not until maybe series B and C, when something's already big and moving, yeah, then you've they got, have a million dollars in revenue. A lot of folks, a lot of VCs like yourself have told me that they the million dollars revenue is sort of their starting spot to look at a deal. But I think you you work a little bit earlier if you find it really early. compelling. And, and yes. I guess, are you co-investing with angels now as well? We co-invest with angels. We're not opposed to being the first check. Um, but normally we won't necessarily be the angel invest investment in a company, we look for the product already be there um, to see a most viable, viable product example. And we're looking for some sort of traction. If it's KPIs or on users or early revenue trends, we wanna join the team when we can add value to growth. Yeah. Not to the creation of the product, but to the growth of the product. And that step when the entrepreneurs need to cross the chasm and really reach scale. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's where we can add value, both with expertise as well as our network. Yeah. Um, so we kind of roll up our sleeves and not only, you know, make a financial contribution to the effort, but really roll up the sleeves and, and work with an entrepreneur on whatever needs they might have on the C-suite level to help them prepare for that growth and really accelerate their business. Right. Uh -huh. And I, you mentioned it, and I apologize, I should have said it earlier, but the website for those that are listening is soundmedia.vc. So it's just like it sounds, S-O-U-N-D-M-E-D-I-A dot V-C. So if you're an entrepreneur in that space, if you're an investor that's trying to, you're looking at a deal and you want to, because of the network that uh, uh, Shahar has, you know, it, I think he take a coffee or anymore is just a zoom call and say, Hey, let's uh, bounce these ideas off each other and things like that. Um, because I remember you talking about one deal that you, I believe you guys have already invested in that was really fascinating on delivery of art through, uh, streaming on, you know, yeah. streaming on TV or something like that. It was, uh, it was, it was completely novel when you described it to me before. And I, I was fascinated that somebody not only had an idea, but they identified their marketplace for that and has developed it. And uh, it, 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 is a, it is a game changer. Yeah. Um, and I know we only have two minutes left. Um, it's, uh, the company is called Loop Art, L-O-U-P-E-A-R-T.com. And they are a, um, a market maker, if you will. Um, in streaming art. So the vision is that what um, Spotify is to music and Netflix is to um, movies and TV, loop art is to high-end art. So it's yeah. curated contemporary art that streams on your flat screens. Yeah. And you can now already find it through uh, Pluto. We launched a, a linear channel on Pluto TV. We also launched on uh, Comcast. We're preloaded on the X1 modem and other nice. modems. And, um, and there's more, now we're working on several other distribution partnerships this year in 2021. Uh, the company has grown tremendously just in the fourth quarter since deploying with those first initial partners I mentioned. 
Um, and so we went from, you know, very small amount of users to over a million Unix per month. Wow. Within like, you know, two and a half months. Yeah. So fantastic growth, very exciting uh, product. Okay, great. So now as we wrap up, um, I'd like you to, to sort of explain because I thought it was interesting, you know, how, why you chose to start a VC fund um, and do what you're doing versus just being just a straight, you know, angel that puts writes a personal check every quarter or participates in somebody else's fund. You know, it was, uh, 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 I think it was a, a brave, but of course you've always been sort of a, a, a you know, a, I guess a brain, um, I'm trying to think of the word I'm trying to think of it, but, you know, leading the way into, you know, doing things, you know, and it's, uh, and you, and you chose to start sound media, sound media ventures. So, Mm -hmm. you know, just, you know, quickly tell our audience on what was, what's your passion behind it? Why did you choose to do that instead of just, you know, being an angel, not just an angel investor, but, you know, taking your wealth and doing that or going off to the lake and, you know, building another house, you know, you, you've committed your own. Now it's a new business, which is, you know, mm-hmm. helping these other entrepreneurs go about creating and, and, you know, and sharing in their wealth, but in a different way. So talk a little bit about your, your passion sure. and your reason for, for being, you know, taking that space within the capital framework. Sure. Um, Sound Media Venture checked two boxes for me. Um, first of all, I enjoy paying it forward. I enjoy working with entrepreneurs and hearing about exciting new ideas that founders are developing and being able to help, you know, at this stage in my career after being an operator for two decades plus, and, you know, what I can, you know, bring to the table is a lot of wisdom and experience uh, for better or worse. Um, and what young, you know, all founders, are bringing to the table, oftentimes young creative founders, is a lot of creativity and deep understanding of current and future technologies coming out of universities, doing a lot of R&D that's super interesting. So when you marry that passion and that knowledge of bubbling new technologies with mentorship and experience, which is what I, I had when I was young, and I know the benefit it gave me at the time, I think it makes a big difference. I enjoy the work, I enjoy paying it forward, I wanted to have a bit more structure behind how I engage founders and how I work with them and why I'm doing it, number one. Number two, I was looking at things as an investor. I'm a member of ATA, Atlanta Technology Angels, um, just joined Venture South, another um, angel network in the Southeast. Um, So I enjoy looking at different opportunities as an angel, but um, when I was running the numbers, investing in this particular area of media and technology, it's kind of like making a salad with the vegetables I have. It's an area of expertise for me. I understand the space, both from the content and IP perspective, which is really the product and how it it correlates with technology and how to apply technology to distribution and monetization. So, So that's where I can bring in a lot of value from an investment perspective, I understand the market. And I felt after looking at all the numbers, talking to a lot of colleagues, I felt that with a, a fund that's bigger than my own firepower, um, we can make a bigger impact, write bigger checks uh, to investors. So I just decided to put a lot more discipline 
around the whole process of investing and how much money is being invested and how we advise and work and consult the founders we engage with and invest in. Sunweet Ventures gives the whole process a lot more structure with the goal of creating a lot more value for, um, for everybody involved, which at this point is the investors, the LPs that are involved in South Media Ventures. And of course, the, uh, the founders we curate and invest in and work with. Yes. Well, thank you so very much uh, for joining me on the show, Shahar. It's been uh, uh, great talking to you. I think uh, uh, hopefully listeners out there, please comment, uh, give us a, you know, five stars on this and, you know, share it with other people that you know that are interested in media tech or interested in getting started in angel investing in media tech or whatever, you know, interested in understanding the Atlanta landscape for capital. You know, this is, uh, I, I think one of the things that you mentioned at the very beginning is that Atlanta has become a very dynamic community for entrepreneurs and investors. And this is just another flavor, color that of the spectrum of what is out there. And it's really exciting, the things that are happening here. And I'm, I'm excited to be a part of it with you. Well, thank you very much for having me today, Karen. Um, I appreciate the time and um, thank you all for watching. Yes. Okay, soundmedia.vc, everybody. And of course, my website is karenrands.co. For those that are listening, you can go there and get access to all the other podcasts and blogs I'm on the blog page and, and information about the book, Inside Secrets to Angel Investing. And so uh, as I always close out the show, onwards and upwards. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Compassionate Capitalist Podcast Radio, where we encourage individual investment in entrepreneurs to create generational wealth and best practices for small businesses to succeed. Help us spread the word about compassionate capitalism by sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues. The Compassionate Capitalist Podcast is available on most podcast platforms, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and many more. In production for over 10 years, there are over 180 episodes available for your listening and educational pleasure. With over 130,000 downloads, this podcast is rapidly becoming the top podcast for investors and entrepreneurs to get the information they need to create generational wealth through entrepreneurism. This podcast is brought to you by the Business Power Tools which offers an online collaborative environment for leadership teams to prepare business plans, marketing strategies, financial modeling needed to attract capital and scale a business. Also, Lindio as a entrepreneur's resource portal providing access to dozens of lenders offering short-term and long-term debt to help business owners manage their financial cash flow and growth capital needs. BizX, creating affordable advertising resources, and other tools for entrepreneurs to succeed and create awareness and trust with their customer base. And Launch Funding Network, part of Cougarand Capital Holdings, is a network of hundreds of angel investors, investor clubs and networks, venture capital firms, private equity funds, family offices, investment bankers, and lenders. Please visit karenrands.co to learn more about the Launch Funding Network, and our sponsors, and to sign up to get our Compassionate Capitalist Coffee Break 
and learn more about how we can help you succeed.